our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word to us. And as we come now listening to your word, we ask, we pray that you would help us, that by your spirit-filled word as you speak to us, you would help us by your spirit to see Jesus and the change, the difference he makes to life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Acts chapter 3 and 4 that Ryan read from earlier, we see the scene before us is a spectacular scene. Uh, Here in this book, we see really two big things that we're going to see across Acts 3 and 4. Firstly, we see the power and the name of the one and only Jesus Christ to save people. That's the power that is in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's only through him can we come to God. The second thing we're going to see is this, that it's only through Jesus we can have the kind of boldness, the kind of life change that can give us the freedom, the liberty from anything that enslaves us, including fear. It's only through Jesus we can have that kind of change. And we see that we need that. I need that. Let me tell you a story about how. It's from many years ago now when I was much younger, 20-odd years, and I was a university student, a Christian. I had my Bible with me, took my Bible to uni with me, and I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I still had some niggling fears. And those fears were for a multitude of reasons. I guess many of the same fears that you and I experience today. I had those fears, fears of what if my friends saw I was a public Christian, that kind of fear. I remember one particular day I had a university lecturer and he was someone I respected, looked up to, uh, but he was uh, clearly a smart man, uh, a wise man, and someone who I wanted to kind of guess be like in agricultural science. And for him, uh, he was also a man that thought God out of the picture a little bit, but considered perhaps the history of the Bible something to be important at least but didn't think that the Bible was truly speaking about Jesus being truly God and Saviour. And this man and I had a conversation one day. I was sitting in his office and he says to me, he says, "Um, of course, Russ, I don't forget how it came up. I just remember my outcome, my words, what I said. He said, Russ, of course, Jesus was just a prophet, wasn't he? And you know what I said 20-odd years ago? I just said, yeah. I was fearful. That was my moment for him and my friendship with him. That was my moment to say something that really made a difference, at least to really actually be public and and true to who Jesus is. I know he's more than a prophet. I knew back then, of course, we know now he's more than a prophet. He's much more than a prophet. He is God and Savior. Have you had a moment like that, a moment where you've just been a bit fearful of what your friends might say, fearful of perhaps society around and what they say, fearful of perhaps the more smarter people than us who seem to have it all worked out and thought God out of the picture and seem to have this perfect grid for understanding the world, which actually, if you scratch beneath the surface, is not that perfect. And those people, including my university lecturer, it turns out many years later, have their own fears. But we try and hide it by denying it, denying who Jesus is. Well, in Acts chapter 3, we see in Acts 3, people threatened with that kind of fear. The fear of 
what would the authorities do? What would society say? What do our friends think of us if we're those that follow Jesus? And in Acts chapter 3, we see that the, the biggest threat to Christianity in these chapters It's not yet persecution. Persecution is going to come in the book of Acts. And we're going to see how Christians engage with that persecution. But it's not yet persecution that they face nor fear. It's not quite that level yet. It's actually just pressure. It's that kind of pressure, perhaps a peer pressure from those that are their neighbors and friends around them. Perhaps it's a pressure from the authorities, the rulers. And, and even if you're a student, like a university student, you know, university lecturers don't rule you, but they are an authority on things, aren't they? And they, they're kind of people we look up to and it can be a, a perceived pressure on them or perhaps others, perhaps your boss and your workplace or even your wider family, your parents or grandparents. There's this perceived pressure not to be a public Christian not to identify with Jesus as Lord and Saviour, as our God and the only way in which we can be saved. And that peer pressure comes to us. It's the, the pressure, that, that pressure that we all have is experienced by Christians all around the world. Some Christians around the world experience persecution. We have not experienced persecution at that level here in Australia yet. But we have experienced pressure. In every generation, there's been pressure. Pressure for us not to be public as Christians. Because what we see in the book of Acts is, and what we see in Acts 3 and 4, is making Christ known, makes it personal, and it brings with it that personal pressure not to make Christ known. See, if you're going to come out as being a Christian in our society, no one is going to hail you as a hero. No one... Seeing a testimony of someone saying, you know, I, I've been, been a, a kind of a, a, a Christian in my private life, my whole life, and now I'm going to come out as public. You won't get like thousands and thousands of likes for that. You won't get people, you know, sharing that everywhere. You might get some Christians, you might get some churches, at least I would, but you won't get widely accepted for coming out as a Christian. You won't get widely accepted as someone who's going to be congratulated. Instead, the world is going to want you to be conformed. The world is going to want to say, no, no, don't, don't do that. That's, that's, no, there's no encouragement for us from the world as a society to be Christian. If there was a generation or two ago, it was just a cultural leftover from a time gone past, but now that is not the case. In fact, in some parts of the world, Christians are seen as so wrong as they're pushed to the margins of society. The time of being a public Christian in some parts of the world is too late. For us in Australia, the time is now still. The time to be public as a Christian, to identify with Jesus, is still now. There are opportunities for us. There are opportunities for us. And if you're watching, if you're a friend of Reforming Church, opportunities for you to still investigate and see who Jesus is and how he really is, the one and only God and Saviour. And we see here that whilst that pressure comes, the Bible is already acknowledged. It already tells us in God's word that there will always be that pressure, there will always be that persecution. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, who was once a persecutor of the church, Paul, now a converted Christian, He writes this in 2 Timothy to his colleague, 
Timothy, he writes, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You could change that for Australia a little bit, couldn't you? You could just like change the application of it and you could say this, um, in Australia we may not face persecution, but in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face pressure. We will face pressure. So what do we do when the pressure comes? Well, we first, in Acts 3, we see the context of why it comes. And it comes because of something wonderful. It's often the case with Christianity. Christianity is not the religion, the following, the worldview, the way of the sword. It is not. It is not that which is propagated and proclaimed around the world through a crusade of weapons. I have Christian friends that disagree. They're a small group. I want to say you need to read the Bible again. And in fact, if you've got the time and you have, now with COVID-19, go and read First Peter. Peter, who is here in Acts 3, writes about how to respond to pressure and persecution. And he says we're to respond like Jesus. So go and read that and have a look. But for here, here we see Peter and John, these two apostles, in Acts chapter 3, are going up to the temple to pray. And they see a lame man, or at least the lame man first sees them. Dr. Luke, who writes Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, he writes, we know he's a doctor from Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. As he writes, he, he's, he's noting that this lame man is over 40 years old. He's been lame since birth, and only he's ever known in his whole entire life since his birth this sort of existence. He's sitting at the temple gate, and he's asking for alms, uh, which is a kind of like a, a mercy money for the poor. He's asking for that because that's his daily life, that's his daily sustenance. And as Dr. Lutz notes this man, we see this man, he is outside the temple, therefore symbolically outside God's presence. He is there at the temple gate, and his whole life has been watching people go into the temple, walking into the temple, and he can't walk. And here he is, this man who is lame and needy. And today, Jesus changes everything for this man. You see what happens? Peter sees the man as the man asks for arms, and Peter turns to him, fixes his eyes on him, and perhaps for the rest of the people watching and hearing, he says this, I've got no arms for you today. I've got no money for you today, but I have something more important. He has Jesus. He has the gospel. And here he says, in the power of Jesus' name, you're healed. It's a miracle. Now, miracles, miracles in this natural world come from a supernatural power. So miracles are not just magic tricks. There's something that can only be carried out by God himself. It's God who made the world and all its natural law, and, and it's God who acts the miracle. And here we see a miracle from God himself, where this man was symbolically outside the gate, now spiritually he's in. He's spiritually in the presence of God and the power of God he's experienced in his healing in Jesus' name. And what Peter has said all points to Jesus. You see, the needy one who was lame now leaps like a deer. It all points to Jesus. The Old Testament's true. It's right. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And this is what this man is doing. Four times in three verses, the man who couldn't walk is described as now walking, leaping, and praising God. 
And whilst we don't expect miracles in every case in every way today, we, we don't expect them in the same way, we do see these are signposts pointing towards a day when all will be healed in Jesus' name for all time, forever, for eternity. Jesus' great restoration project has begun and here we see the first of the glimmers, the first of that happening. Where finally and fully, all those who are needy, who come to Jesus, will be healed forever. And this man's life has been changed. Everyone can see it. The crowd sees it that day. And so Peter starts preaching to the crowd to explain it. Peter does not make this healing his platform ministry. Notice this. Notice that, and this is a, if you're following on the outline on the service sheet online, this is the preaching of Jesus, God's sent Saviour. It's not the preaching of Peter. I have a concern, and maybe you do too, when we sometimes see healing ministries today, we see those healing ministries in the name of the special prophet or so-called apostle, which we've already seen in Acts 1. We don't have apostles today, very important. But we see it's always about that person's platform. But I want you to notice this. Peter is at pains. He's, he's working so hard and he's preaching to say, this is not about me. This is not about my platform. This is about Jesus. The miracle should point to the maker, never to the miracle worker. It's about Jesus, who is the ultimate miracle worker. He's the maker of all things. It's his miracle in his world. And so he says, verse 12, men of Israel, this is not about us apostles. It's never been about human leaders. Verse 13, it's about Jesus. In fact, if you want to know who it's about, Jesus, it's about the same God we've always known. The one true living God. And so Peter in verse 13 says, it's the same God of the Old Testament people. It's that same God, the one and only God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, you know who Jesus is because you men of Israel made that terrible exchange when you would rather see a murderer go free in Barabbas. And this Jesus, you judged and sent to his death. You would rather see a murderer set free so you could sentence and judge the holy and righteous one, the author of life himself, you sent to death. Verse 15, but God has raised him from the dead. And so the power you see in healing this lame man that sees him rise up and walk is the same power that sees Jesus rise from the dead. That's the power of God. That's the power that's done this. And that power has a name, and his name is Jesus. And so now, Peter says, for your forgiveness of your guilt in all this, for all of your sins, repent and return, turn and trust in God by trusting in Jesus. Repent, return to God, turn and trust in Jesus. Repent, verse 20, and be refreshed by Jesus. Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus. He teaches from the Old Testament. He references Moses and Samuel and Abraham that Jesus is the legit Lord and Saviour. And that message sees people saved, but it also sees pressure come. It's that pressure not to proclaim in chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. We see in Acts 4, verse 4, that the church is quite public now. It's quite out there. It's about 5,000 men. And a man is healed in Jesus' name. 
That's the descriptive event. But what's prescriptive, what we can see, what we ought to do and can, can, can actually apply to this is preach the risen Jesus. And so the risen Jesus is proclaimed, which gets Peter and John in trouble with those that don't want a resurrection proclaimed and don't want the risen Jesus proclaimed, particularly the Sadducees. Remember the Sadducees? We had that kind of old dad joke about them. Um, the Sadducees are a particular sect of Judaism that don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. And we see the Sadducees, they actually drag in and convene, uh, they drag in Peter and John and convene the Sanhedrin and they, they bring them into custody before the authorities and they say, what are you doing? And Peter says, well, we proclaim Jesus. There's no other name of which you can be saved but in Jesus' name. There's no other name. And the authorities can't deny what's happened. They talk to each other. Look, we can't deny what's happened here. Everyone's seen the miracles, the whole crowd there. This is a very public event. So what they do is they command Peter and John, stop speaking about Jesus. And here we see this pressure not to proclaim. Don't talk of salvation in no one else. Don't teach, don't speak in Jesus' name at all. Now here's a question I have for you. What would you do? What would I do with that kind of pressure? We know society doesn't want any other name heard like Jesus' name. But they do like other names being talked about, don't they? We know society wants to be pluralistic, except they don't. They want to be intolerant. Society doesn't like the idea that there's no other name in which to be saved. And church, I'm particularly speaking to us at the moment right now. Because I think sometimes not only does society not like the idea that only Jesus is the one and only saviour, not only does society say that, well, all religions can lead to God, whoever he is, if we believe in him, but I think sometimes the church can get a little bit uncomfortable with that idea that only Jesus saves too. See, I think what we see is we see society saying, don't say Jesus is the only way to God. We see that. So we start to feel like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't. We feel a bit uncomfortable with that idea. You know, we have friends that have other religious backgrounds or beliefs or worldviews, and we think, well, they're just nice people. Surely they're nice people. Surely they would get to God as well through their way. But no. Jesus says himself in John 14, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Peter just reiterates that. He says here, there is no other way. There is no other God. There is no other way in which you can be saved but in Jesus Christ. When we feel uncomfortable with that, what we need to do is not sit in that uncomfortable nature, but we need to go back to hear God's voice in the Scriptures and get confidence again in Christ. That's what Peter and John do. Their confidence is in Jesus. You see what they do? Chapter 4, verse 19. They say that there's no other way, and for us, they're going to keep speaking about Jesus. They say, we cannot help 
speaking about what we've seen and heard. We can't help it. Like, it's not just we did the really good training course on evangelism. It's just that we can't, we can't but help doing this. We can't but help speak of him. Do you know what that's like? You actually do. It may not be for Jesus yet, but I pray by the end of this sermon, this message, and by the end of our time together, you are convinced too by the power of God's Spirit working in you through his word that you could not but help speak of Jesus. But there are things you can't help but speak about because you're so convinced and because you so love those things. For example, if you've got kids. Now, during COVID-19 and under ISO, um, we're kind of like sometimes even homeschooling, it's tough, isn't it, with kids? And uh, kids, we're all in the same house together and we're all kind of doing the same thing, but you still love them. You still can't but help post those pics up on Instagram and Facebook. and We still love our kids, don't we? Perhaps your spouse, if you're married. Can't but help love your spouse and you can't but help speak about them. And, but even then, if it's not your kids or your spouse, say you're not married, I reckon there's things you have in life you can't but help speak about. There's things we love. What is social media and what is social media sharing? Social media sharing is this. I can't but help speak about this thing that I love, whether it be my weekend, whether it be my job, whether it be my hobbies, my sports, my friends, my parents. I can't help but speak about it. For me, it's reforming church. Like, you, you can't stop me speaking about you because I love you. For us, what is it you can't but help speak about? Now, imagine that's Jesus. That's what it's like for these apostles. They can't help. Verse 20, but speak about what we've seen and heard. See, to be a Christian is to be public. It's to know Christ and it's to make him known. Because we can't help it especially when problems come, especially when the pressure is not to identify with Jesus. Now, in verse 21, chapter 4, they get threatened not to, they get threatened further not to speak about Jesus, but they can't help it, they will. But here's the thing, what about when the pressure continues to stay? And it does for these first followers of Jesus, these disciples. It does for the apostles, and it does for us. What about when the pressure comes? What about when the pressure stays? What do they do? They host a prayer meeting. Now, in Christian circles, uh, in churches, whatever church that is, and even in Reforming Church, uh, of all the things that we would love people to come to a lot, probably prayer meetings is something we'd love to come to, but it's hard to get to, isn't it? It's hard to kind of get to pray, and, and even in our own lives, it's hard to really make it a healthy habit to pray. And so in our discipleship groups and our small groups, are looking at those habits of grace, of what it means to hear God's voice in the Scriptures, and to have his ear in prayer. It's a really good, healthy habit for us to have as we belong to his body. But here, they host a prayer meeting, but it's not something they have to schedule. Okay, on Tuesday night, we're going to have a prayer meeting because um, it's good to pray, and uh, we do hope to see you there. Look, there'll be a supper, you know, uh, there'll be a supper, and um, and uh, look, perhaps uh, we might... Um, watch some sport afterwards or catch a movie. You know, look, I'm not trying to diss that, but you know how tempting it is to kind of get the prayer meeting, but the prayer meeting, we need to kind of dress it up a little bit. They don't need to do that. They don't go to a prayer meeting. 
They don't host a prayer meeting because it's just good to have in the schedule. They host a prayer meeting because they are prayerfully, daily dependent upon God in everything, especially when the pressure comes. So they host this prayer meeting. Of all the means of grace in which it builds us, prayer is most commonly neglected. But this is not a strategy, and I'm all for strategy and planning. I'm all for leadership and leading others and training leaders. But even that, it's not a strategic plan they outline. It's the prayer they need to rely upon God in everything. And so they pray. For the church, he was a prayerful church. Chapter 4, verse 24, when they heard it about the pressure, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They have a prayer meeting. They get the scriptures out. And they, they pray through the scriptures. They pray through a psalm. Psalm 2 is quoted here. And here is their prayer. Lord, see the threats, the pressure against us and enable us to speak your word with all boldness. What is your first response when pressures come? What is your first response? I know in my frailty, in my failings, my first response to pressure is to let the pressure build me to do something. Like it's to do something and sometimes it's not a good thing I do. I might get frustrated or cranky and angry or I I might get anxious. For many of us, pressure in this way can lead to that. For Christians, for the church, sometimes that pressure leads us to get angry and often what comes out of anger is anxiousness or the other way around, anxiousness leads to anger and those things are released in some sort of political pressure in return. And so we see the pressure on the church or on the gospel in Australia. So what we do is we start to go political in return. Nothing wrong with politics or getting involved in politics, but if we think that the way to respond to political pressure and peer pressure against Christianity, it pushes into a corner, is purely just political. We've missed the power of prayer. You see, when the pressure comes, notice what happens. They pray, and here's the opportunity for us to do so too. And notice how they pray. Notice how they pray. Verse 29, their request is not, Lord, take the pressure away. The request is not, help Christianity in this country be comfortable. The, the, the prayer is not, Lord, we were just enjoying our time with comfortable church and attractional church. We were enjoying that everyone thought we were cool and zany. That's not their prayer. They don't, pray for, they don't pray for things to change back to the good old days. What do they pray for? They don't pray for the pressure to go away. They pray that they would proclaim more boldly the good news of Jesus. Years ago, uh, I was an evangelist on the university campus with the Christian Union. And the Christian Union is an evangelistic group. That's why it exists. 
And in that evangelism ministry, we often had prayer meetings, particularly for evangelism. So we would pray and then we'd share the gospel on the campus every day. And I heard it once said that there was a Christian who hadn't joined the group, which is totally cool. Like, you don't have to do that if you're a Christian. It's, it's open and invited for Christians. But, but I knew there was a Christian I'd heard, it was re- reported to me, a Christian who wasn't in the group, but they said, oh, you go to the CU, like, you go and pray, and then, like, talk to people about Jesus. That is social suicide. Now, what do they mean by that? I mean, that if you were going to identify publicly by being in a public place and praying and then being in a public place and talking about Jesus, like in the cafe or something, if you're going to do that, man, your social life is going to die because people are going to find out you're a Christian and, and not just a Christian, you're one of those Christians, which was often a term used as well, one of those Christians. You know, we never designed the CU and we haven't designed Reforming Church to be one of those Christian type of churches. We want it to be shaped by the Scriptures. And the Scriptures' shape is to be a public Christian, whatever those kind of Christians are. It's, it's at least to be a public and a prayerful Christian. Do you see this? This is our opportunity, church. Not to pray that the pressure would go away, but to pray that we would proclaim Jesus more boldly. That's the solution. That's the prayer. That's what we need to be asking God for. We need to be asking that we would have the kind of life change within us by His Spirit that so changes us that we love Him so much, knowing He first loved us, that we would love Him, that we could not but help speak about Him. That we would tell our family and tell our friends when they ask for the reason for the hope that we have, when when people say, why is it you're a Christian? and and How are you coping with COVID-19? and What's going on in your life that we could not but help but speak about how Jesus is getting us through? That Jesus has saved me, therefore whatever happens, be it a virus or whatever crisis it is, Jesus will keep me safe forever because I have forgiveness with God and a new wonderful relationship. You could not but help speak of him. That's the kind of thing we can be praying for when the pressure comes. Because there's no other name that can save but Jesus and there is, in Jesus' name, boldness like nowhere else. There's boldness like no other. See, if you know Christ and you face pressure and you face that pressure not to be a public Christian, through Jesus, the very one that the pressure comes because you're publicly identifying with Jesus, it's through him is the power to be set free from that pressure, set free and liberated to be able to say, I love him because he loves me and I'm safe. This is the gospel unhindered, even to the end of the earth. Prayer and proclamation never looked less boring now, does it? Like prayer meetings and, and proclaiming the gospel is the most thrilling experience you can have. But more than an experience is a place of knowing Jesus who saves you and who keeps you safe and enables you to proclaim him as saviour to others so they can be saved and safe too. So Reforming Church... When you and I face pressure, how might we be tempted to respond to that kind of peer pressure not to be a public Christian? What are the ways in which we are tempted to respond? I think there's a few. I think we can just perhaps respond initially with self-pity. Oh, woe always me. Woe is us. Ah, oh, Australia hates the church. Victoria, state government hates the church. Or whoever else hates the church. They've never really loved the church. 
It's not like, you know, before the good old days, everyone was like, wow, isn't the Christians great and the church is fantastic? We love them. We were culturally tolerated, but not anymore. Don't respond with self-pity. Respond with prayer. Perhaps we fear our social reputation, that social suicide will come and we'll lose those friendships. Why do we fear the loss of friendships more than the loss of friendship with God? Good question to ask ourselves, isn't it? Perhaps we fear for our families. Hey, look, I'm a pastor. You know, I've got a target on my head, my kids do. And it's, in Australia, it's not, a, it's not an awful target. It's just a bit of pressure. I've been at parties where people have, you know, that, that you're kind of standing in a circle and I've been with three other guys and, and, uh, and someone's come up to ask us, uh, you know, this is what men ask men uh, in circles, at social circles at parties. And they've said, uh, what, the first guy, what do you do? Oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this is before COVID-19. I just want to qualify. This was not a party of recent days, but it's happened not many years ago. So what do you do? I'm a teacher. Great. Next person, what do you do? Oh, I'm a... I'm a um, I'm a builder. Oh, wow. Yeah. Next one, what do you do? I'm a plumber. Oh, that's great. You can fix my pipes at some stage. And they said to me, what do you do? And I said, I talk to people about Jesus. And they went, I know what it's like to be kind of that kind of like weirdo in the room. And that's, you know, it's not easy, is it? Like, I'm not saying this is naturally easy. In fact, sometimes we can be really fearful of these things. We can be really, actually, genuinely frightened and scared. We might lose our job for being a Christian. We might lose some family relationships. We might fear the rulers of this age, the atheists. They're really smart. We might fear that we'll become like a fool. These are real fears, aren't they? This is why we're reforming church. We're not perfect church, but this is why we are reforming by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus. And here's how the gospel does this. This is how it does this. You see, those first followers, those early disciples, those apostles, they were fearful too. Why did they pray that prayer? Why Look at verse 29, chapter 4, verse 29. Why did they pray, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak with all boldness? Why do they pray that? Because they're scared. They need boldness. Why are they asking for boldness? Because they're fearful. They're frightened. It's a natural reaction, Reforming Church. For you and I, it's a natural reaction to fear. And that's what we have. We have the opportunity to pray to the God who keeps us safe, help us to be more bold. Help us be more bold. And how do we get boldness? Pray and look and lean on Jesus. Look at and lean on Jesus. When you look at Jesus, who do you see? Someone who understands your fear. Someone who understands because he gets into the world and comes down beside us in the hole, in our fears, in our frightened nature and says, I love you and I'm with you to the end of the age. Look at Jesus. For beholding Jesus and believing in him changes everything. He is the prayerful, proclaiming, perfect saviour. Where we have failed at this at times, 20 years ago for me, in front of my university lecturer, he comes in and he even saves failures like me. If he can save me, who and I'm a complete failure in so many ways, he can save you. Jesus, look at Jesus, behold him, believe in him. Jesus, when faced with pressure and persecution, endured the cross 
scorning its shame and disgrace, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And it's Jesus today who acts through his apostles in his word. The apostles' written word is for us to be emboldened. Go to the scriptures, hear God's voice, rely on him in prayer. See, the power of the gospel does change us. You and I don't have to play the victim under societal peer pressure because Christianity is all about how Jesus was the victim on the cross for us. And because he was raised in power, we have that same power that comes for lame, weak, needy people that can help us to become bold people. Notice how the prayer is answered in Acts chapter 4. That's what they pray for boldness. And then look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Notice this, they pray for boldness. What happens? God gives them boldness and they speak the word with boldness. They ask God, help us, help us. Would you help us to speak the gospel with boldness to our friends, to our family members, to one another? Would you help us speak the gospel? And notice what they pray. And as they pray that, it's answered. God answers their prayer and they continue to speak the word of God with all boldness. See, if you don't call yourself a believer yet, That's the kind of boldness Jesus can give you. That's the kind of boldness you can get. It's the kind of life-changing stuff, like the way this lame, weak beggar was changed. It's the kind of change that means you can kind of have that power, that security in life that means you're set free from what other people think of you. It's the power that we as Christians can have. But if you're not a Christian yet and you're checking out Christianity, you've, you've come across this cite this sermon, this service today, this is the kind of power that you can have that changes you. It changes you because it means you can be saved with God and safe with him. And it's people who are saved by God and safe with him, whatever comes across their path in life, be that pressure or whatever the problem it is, that's the kind of people that live this life with confidence. When COVID-19 came, A lot of people are saying the same thing. The future is so uncertain. But here's the thing. If you know Jesus who was raised from the dead, no matter what happens, be that a coronavirus crisis, a war, a famine, whatever it is, the future is ultimately not uncertain. It is certain in the risen Jesus. It is safe with him for eternity. And that gives us a boldness. That gives us a confidence. Because through Jesus, God has given us salvation. Would you return to God by trusting in Jesus? Let's pray we would today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you that we now see the opportunity before us. That because there's salvation in no one else, because there's power in no one else, there's salvation in Jesus, we have the opportunity to trust him with our very life. And so we pray. We ask, give us boldness to continue to speak about Jesus. And we ask that many people would know that there is no other name in heaven can be found through whom we are redeemed, through whom your grace abounds. No other name can save but Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we pray this for one another. We pray this for our friends. 
We pray this for people in Bendigo and beyond because they need joy in sorrow's tears. They need strength to cast out fears. We need it. We need that hope in our darkest night. We need that for our broken soul's delight. We pray that we would be so shaped by the gospel with our joy in Jesus that we could not but help speak about him. And that through our speaking boldly about Jesus, you would see many more people come to know him and believe in him too. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.